welcome back to our latest episode of Signs, Cosines, and Tangents. We have a plethora of things to talk about this week. Um, as we're you know nearing Father's Day, we thought this would be our All Father's Day special. Um, but first, we're going to talk about some tangents because that's what we do. We do. We do. We also have a new section that we're introducing this week into the podcast. Yeah. Um, so we look forward to your feedback on whether this is something you want us to continue to do or not. Um, and we'll talk more about that as we near the end of our time with you today. All right. So rolling into the tangents. Rolling in. Jared, why don't you kick it off with this masterful accessory that's been announced for the Switch? So the Switch is becoming... Uh, sort of the place to go for old arcade games there's mm-hmm. a lot of neo geo titles on there a lot of shoot 'em ups you mean thanks to the presence of their virtual console the thanks of what is it <laughs> hamster and who's the other developer that's porting all these things over there's a few different but yeah i, I had to take the virtual console dig sorry it's been like the virtual console is no longer sean it's you actually been a confirmed no no longer never the gonna name, happen virtual console Oh, fair enough. So, yeah, you're right. There's a growing number of classic arcade games becoming available on the Switch as downloadable applications. So, to cater to that audience... So, we... a lot of a lot of these games are allowing vertical mode, or tate mode, is what it's called, which, uh, I don't know, it's Japanese, but I don't... It must stand for... I never learned Probably what that means. stands for, like, lettuce or something in Japanese, but... <laughs> Uh, but in vertical mode for shmups and everything, it's great. So somebody's come out with basically uh, a controller eclipse that let you change the orientation of your switch to vertical, plug in your Joy Cons, and now you've got a vertical switch. Now it's almost like using the switch as a tablet. It is, hmm. but with buttons. Unlike a tablet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get the concept. How much are these things costing? I think $20, $30. For plastic that holds for plastic your switch that holds the stuff sideways, yeah. yeah. And well, there's demand for it, so huh? There you go. All right. Well, in the never-ending um, tale of Shovel Knight and its infinite it's success, ending this year. This is it. This is the last oh, update. Okay, the ending tale of this Shovel is the last one. It doesn't sound as epic to say the conclusion to the amazing series Shovel Knight. Well, actually, that doesn't sound that, too bad. You made it. You, you spunked it up a little bit. You know, there we go. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, Yacht Club Games, the developer of Shovel Knight, showed off some more footage of King of Cards with King mm-hmm. Knight. Uh, this is taking more of the style of the old Wario Land games, where he kind of charges and bashes with his shoulder. But then he twirls because he's a... What do they call him in uh, in Shovel Knight? Shovel Knight calls him the uh, something dandy. <laughs> Don't know. Yeah. Uh, you're looking at the wrong man. King King Knight, for those that don't know in Shovel Knight, he is not a king. Is he a he's, knight? He's a knight. Okay. So he's part of his usurps, name. Usurps usurps the throne of the king, but he himself is not a so, king. So I want to explain a little bit about English here. If you usurp a king to take his throne, you become a king. But he's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He's just a knight. Uh, Anyhow, this is coming out. They've confirmed later this year. This is the last epic tale that's in Shovel Knight. This is also a prequel similar to Spectre of Torment. Because we know those are always the best parts of any game. Honestly, I, with Shovel Knight, 
uh, with the four campaigns they've done, well, they've done three. This will be the fourth. Mm-hmm. They have made that game so much more than it originally was. Oh, absolutely. Plague Knight took concurrent to the Shovel Knight story. So you solve Shovel Knight walking above in the village. And when you go to Plague Knight stage, you actually fight Shovel Knight because he's already there waiting for you. Um, and then Spectre of Torment was a prequel. And it told the story of how the Order of No Quarter was formed. established yeah yeah so it it's cute it's dumb but it's also amazing um and i yacht club put so much polish into each of these campaigns that they could be sold as individual games on their own but they're making it just little expansion stories so i don't hey, know you know a little goodwill goes a long way these days that's true not everybody can parcel out their game in small microtransactions <laughs> So do you use uh, Twitter, Sean? I do. Do you use the official Twitter app? Um, no, I think I use TweetBot. Uh, that's Mac only, Mac and iOS. So you must use Tweety? No. Or not Tweety. Uh, what do you use? You know, I'd have to look. But <laughs> I, I use a plug-in. Okay. So I use tw- the Twitter app on my phone, but right. I use a plug-in in my uh, Chrome. Twitter is making changes to their API. Mm-hmm. That basically render third-party apps um, not as fun to use. Well, I wonder why Twitter would want to do that. Well, the thing with Twitter was it's been around for quite some time, 2005, mm-hmm. 2006, yep. when Web 2.0 actually meant something. Yeah, about 12 years ago. Um, yeah. And their whole their whole foundation was built on an API letting third-party developers get into the ecosystem and right. allow Twitter to kind of grow and be more than what it was on the web page. Well, and if you think about it, I mean, that makes perfect sense for a startup, new technology company. Yeah. They're allowing other people to kind of innovate the Play interfaces. In the playground. Yeah. Yeah. And while they focus on building that core infrastructure and figuring out how to monetize it, by the way, they still haven't figured out how to monetize it. Right. Right. So but. they're making changes that will basically render push notifications um, useless. Uh, a lot of features in third-party apps will not be available because hmm. they're modifying the API. I personally do not use Twitter's anything official Twitter. I use TweetBot on my Mac and my iPad. Um, I will use TweetDeck occasionally, which is owned by Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't go to the normal Twitter page. I don't like to load a web page and see three tweets. And then have to scroll and scroll. I use TweetDeck. That's what I'm using yeah. on my PC. I like to see like 20 tweets where I can easily browse and skim. Well, and the thing I like about TweetDeck specifically is that it strips them into kind of important columns on your page. Right. And you can easily interact that way. Uh, and I guess the thing is they, they've made this change and they haven't really given any guidance or hope for third-party developers. They're charging more for the API that is pretty much unsustainable for third-party developers to afford. Mm-hmm. And they're being general dicks, in my opinion, about it, because Twitter owes its success to these third-party apps. You'd be actually surprised. A lot of the... I don't know if hardcore is the proper word for this, but a lot of like Mac enthusiasts and uh, just tech people in general right. tend to gravitate towards these third-party apps because they're on there so often and actually interact like i have only had mostly to nearly all positive experiences on twitter i know some people have gotten harassed and i know some people would say it's full of bullshit and 
I get that. Um, I am, my Twitter feed's pretty curated. And if I get annoyed at <laughs> any individual or company that I, I'm just like, I'm tired. I unfollow them. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, I want it to be relevant. Um, I get news on Twitter, surprisingly. You know, I still get news and find out relevant information. Well, it's far more effective than trying to get news on Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. I mean, when you compare Twitter and Facebook, the chronological feed of Twitter, which you don't get on their webpage, they do that stupid algorithm stuff. Yep. Um, you know, I like to see what somebody posted five hours ago and work my way up. I know that may sound like a chore to some of you. <laughs> No, actually, that's been my biggest struggle with some of the changes to Twitter. I, I wish, it, I wish, at least with both Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, I wish at least they'd offer the option, right? Well, because I don't, unless somebody mentions me by name, I have right. no idea that there was an interesting conversation that I missed. Actually, there was somebody that mentioned you by name. Did you see the tweet from uh, fan Kyle? He no. said that you were an inspiration to him. Well, actually, let me find the I'm tweet. I'm actually baffled by this now. <laughs> um, well, Kyle, I'm glad I can offer some level of inspiration to anybody. I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Well, we'll fill the dead air while you're looking. <laughs> um, and we'll come back to the, the, the Kyle being inspired piece. And, and Did it come off as being sarcastic or was it no, no, sincere? No, it sounded legit. Which is weird. He said, <clears throat> at S Signs, you are my favorite and a personal hero of mine right up there with he, as in Kanye, Kanye, yay. He said this in response to your tweet, which I quote, Sean said this a, a day ago, Signs and Cosines and Tangents podcast. Why would anyone listen talk to me about anything? <laughs> Honestly, after years of personal and professional podcasting, I'm still humbled by the five or so listeners I seem to consistently attract. Secret, they're actually here for Jared. That's true. No, they're not. Yeah, well. No, 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 no. No, I, I said that sarcastically. It was really meant to be sarcastic. Uh, but I do appreciate the... Um, semi-sincere response from Kyle? I think it's semi It's like semi-sweet chocolate. I think yeah, that's yeah. where it is. It's, it's, it's got a little bit of bitterness at a the end. A little bit, yeah. Just in the finish. Yeah. But it, it hits the tongue, it's immediately sweet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll so I'll it. just I'll just choose to savor that immediate sweetness. Okay. Um, so moving on to the Jared tangents. The Jared, Sean, Jared's Sean and Jared's show? The Jared's show. Um, Nintendo has officially added loot boxes t- to Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. Officially. Officially. Because unofficially, they hadn't done it. They snuck them in in the code. No. Well, is anybody surprised? I mean, it's a it's a free-to-play it, game. I'm not surprised. It's so just, what's in these loot boxes? Just little cosmetic things for your stupid so little villager So this meets our, our loot box uh, level of acceptability, then? Yes. Okay. Which you can get the same thing over and over. It's... To me, it's not Nintendo. I mean, this is a side of... It's, it's the... What's the word? The uncomfortable truth of mobile gaming or mm-hmm. consequences. Well, you have to continue to run the services and that costs money. And if you can't inject advertising to generate that money, then... To me, like, it seems like a lazy way of adding features to a game. It's just like... We're but just if gonna... it's just 
cosmetics. I mean, Animal Crossing is not exactly a game where its core gameplay loop requires a lot of extra features. Yeah. You walk around, you pick fruit, you go fishing, you decorate your house, and that's a perfect type of game where you would have those microtransactions. It just it to me it feels just weird for Nintendo to be throwing that in it in a game so, so innocent as Animal Crossing. But Nintendo added DLC in the last few years, and you kind of accepted but D- that. See, the DLC is different because, A, you know what you're getting, I think, for the most oh, part. Oh, so these are random loot boxes. Right. Okay. You know what you're getting. Um, and you have a choice of whether you want that additional content or not. And Well, th- and I th- think this is the same way, but it's that whole random lottery gimmick. It, it's feeding that endorphin rush you get from yeah. gambling. Yeah, it, it, it just feeds in that whole gambling thing that makes me... I, I'm still on the side where... It, I don't know how people feel about gambling, but I feel like gambling preys on taking advantage of people. And some people say it's a choice, but I mean, gambling is a lot more sophisticated than it was You know, all of ago. those ad campaigns that have been airing lately in, in place of our usual political advertisements that say that gambling isn't a choice... I kind of agree with them. It's not. I mean, I think for some it is. Some people right? some can people look put... in and you put a quarter in a slot machine and you don't win and you walk right. away. Right. But there is something that triggers in some people that, you know, they, they, they have to keep going. Let's leave that for another discussion. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much. Um, okay. So let's talk about something really important, <laughs> which is the absurd history of wedge and fake wedge. Now, this is something I actually had no understanding of. Yeah, ne- neither did I until I found this. And, and this came from the Nerdist, right? right. So they, they put forth, I guess there's this long-standing conspiracy theory about the character of Wedge in the original Star Wars films. And, and for those that don't know who Wedge is, Wedge and Tilly's, he's a pilot. He's, he rivals Luke in terms of his awesomeness, in fact. I like him. I would say he's more awesome than Luke, yeah. especially after the last movie yeah but. um and he's in all three movies he's one of the few characters that's in all three movies of the original the, he's the only non-primary character right who appears in all three movies but the the goal and the idea here is and especially for those of us who you know in the dark days of star wars when there was nothing coming out other than expanded universe books and novels and video games and stuff like that there was an entire series called the rogue squadron series, which they've now tied back. Where did rogue squadron come from? Which was originated in rogue one. And wedge is actually in rogue one as well. Is uh, he? Yes, he is. I don't remember. He's in the uh, fighting scene at the end. Over okay. Scarif okay. Because rogue squadron. It, yeah. It makes sense. He's there. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been part of the rebellion well before Luke. And in and, and so Poe Dameron is really kind of, He's new wedge. After he's wedge. new wedge. Yeah. yeah. Well. Well, he's 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 angst. Let's let's not go down. He's that modern train. wedge. Let's yeah, put that ugh, way. He's millennial like, wedge. Yeah, millennial wedge. Uh, ugh, I, that that hurts. It doesn't hurt me. I'm a Gen Xer. I hate all of you. <laughs> but uh, no. So there's this. So something happened when when Lucas was filming the original film Star Wars: A New Hope, and there was. You know, the actor who eventually became Wedge in all the movies, you know, auditioned for the role and was passed over for the role. They didn't think that he could do an American accent, believably, and they wanted the character to be American. So they hired another 
actor to play this role. And I guess this guy couldn't remember his lines half the time. By the way, Wedge has like four lines in the film. He couldn't remember his lines. And so they, the, when you're in that scene, the first time Luke gets to the Rebellion headquarters before they do the assault on the Death Star and General Dodonna's up front talking about how they're going to go down the trench. And, and uh, Luke makes the comment about, you know, bullseyeing womp rats in his T-16 back home. And he looks over to the guy next to him. Well, that's meant to be Wedge. I never thought it was Wedge, actually. I thought it was Biggs. No, Biggs is actually only in one scene in the final cut of, of okay. A New Hope. And uh, Biggs has a mustache. Oh, okay. okay and they so hug when okay, he comes yeah, out yeah. of his... So he's, look, he's looking over to Wedge. Anyway, so I never assumed that was Wedge because he doesn't look like Wedge. Right. Right. But I guess canonically, if you believe in such things, that was supposed to be the actor they hired to replace the... Or to play Wedge who was eventually replaced by the actor we came to know as Wedge. And ironically, neither actor used their real voice because they were dubbed over by a third actor in the movie. (laughs) So there's this whole convoluted backstory around Wedge. So I think it was last year or earlier this year, a book came out um, called From a Certain Point of View. And it's like the history of Star Wars with a slightly different perspective. And there's a short story in there about Wedge and, and explains why Wedge looks different in that scene than he does in all the rest of the history of Star Wars. And they explain it by saying, that wasn't Wedge. That's a guy who looks so much like Wedge, everybody called him Fake Wedge. That was his handle. In the universe. In the universe, <laughs> they call him Fake Wedge. <laughs> Which fans called that character Fake Wedge. Yeah, so they kind of yeah, canonized. Kind of, yeah. Not like in the you know saintly way, but they canonized him in that fake short wedge. story. Yeah. So that's where the story of fake wedge comes from. And here's my thought on this. First off, it's kind of a funny story, but I don't need that explanation. Well, here's the thing, fans. This is this is one good and bad thing of true fans is they go down a rabbit holes to the microscope <laughs> level. And they pull apart literally a one second thing, and then here we are spending how many minutes on it? Well, and, they, and somebody spent you know weeks of their lives or hours of their lives writing this short story and editing it, yeah, to just fix that one little continuity error that nobody really noticed. I mean, I'm I've been a lifelong fan, and I just wrote it off as that's not Wedge. It was never he never calls him by his name. Yeah, so it doesn't matter if it's Wedge or not. Yeah. But everybody's like, well, no, he's billed as Wedge, and, and this is meant to be. And I'm like, I don't, I don't, dude, this is too much even for me. <laughs> well, speaking of fixing continuity errors, oh boy, we're not going to talk about that. We'll talk about that next episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll come <laughs> back to that one. Um, so a long running series that I love, a strategy RPG, um, that has been through four, well, three, three if not four console cycles at this point as a series the game Disgaea the original Disgaea specifically and and I forget I think we've talked about this previously Jared but have you ever actually played any of these games I have not yet okay so Disgaea is effectively the same gameplay style as Ogre Battle or Final Fantasy Tactics Shining Force Shining Force is very similar okay yeah so it's a grid based turn based team based with jobs Fire Emblem Fire Emblem yeah. is uh, very similar and probably the most 
um, popular modern example yeah. of it. And Disgaea 1 was well known because the whole point of the game was to make fun of all of the tropes in anime and, and manga RPGs and, and RPGs and video games. To the point where in the first one you run into the their universe version of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It's a Sentai team. Yeah. Um, and the main character is the Prince of Hell, and he's who you're playing as, and he has a demonic sidekick named Etna, who's actually trying to usurp him the whole time because she's a demon. Um, and they meet this angel who's fallen from heaven, and th- that's the core team of the game is the Prince of Hell, his demonic sidekick, and this angel who fell from heaven as they're trying to figure out what happened to... Uh, you know, the prince's father who disappears because he's been in this long slumber. So Disgaea 1 Complete is coming out. And if you're a fan of Disgaea, it's coming out for the PS4 and it's coming out for the um, PC, which it's already out for. And then it's coming out for the Switch. Um, It's a great pick-up-and-play game where you can just spend hours and hours and hours playing. But... The funniest thing, and the reason I add, we added this to the show notes, is the complete edition comes with a number of kind of kitschy, fun things like most completed or collector's editions. Thanks for fans of the series. So, one of the things that are really, really well known about the um, Disgaea series is the when you die, your soul in hell is trapped in a stuffed penguin called a prinny. And Etna commands minions called prinnies to do things like explode and, you know, fight battles for her and all of that. So one of the things you get is a plush printy to play with. You also get one of those sexy Japanese mouse pads, you know, the ones that have like big boobed anime girls and there's like, you're supposed to rest your wrist on it. Right. To wrist support. Obviously. Except, and this is a running joke through Carpal the game. Etna's flat chested. So it's a flat mouse pad. <laughs> Um, little things like this. There's a bunch of little pins, collector pins, and, and there's some art books. And so if you're a fan of kind of that tactical RPG gameplay, it's really worth it, um, to go in and, and, and check this out. I mean, they're not all that expensive as far as collector's editions go. I think they're going to be a out, game for the switch and it's going to be on the switch. Cool. Um, and so it'll be out later this year. And, uh, my show note laptop just crashed spontaneously. Cool. cool. So I'm going to have to rely on Jared at this point to walk us through our script. All right. So next, uh, I want to talk about Valve. Valve. Valve purchased the developer of Firewatch, Campo Santo. Yeah, that was interesting because Valve hasn't published any games directly in a while. No. And Campo Santo is actually working on a new game called Valley of the Gods, I think is what it's called. Right. It's another sort of... If you didn't, if you didnn't play Firewatch, it was sort of like a, a very—I I don't want to say Telltale. It's, it's a, a little more involved. It's an than adventure game. It's, it's an adventure game. You walk around. Yeah. Some would say walking simulator, but mm, um, but it has a kind of mist-like feel to yeah, it. Yeah, it had a really good narrative. You're you're a ranger of a forest, and you only have contact with somebody else over the radio, and mm-hmm. so you have this feeling of isolation, but you also don't feel disconnected because there's a person in another tower talking to you and. Saying, hey, can you go check this out? Your ranger's in another tower. Yeah. Um, but the weird thing is, Valve hasn't make it, made an acquisition in a while. Not only that, they made an acquisition of a game developer. So, 
people are theorizing and nobody knows for sure. Um, they said Half-Life th- three confirmed <laughs> that Valley of the gods is still coming out. Nothing to worry there. So people are thinking one of two things, or this is what I'm thinking. I should say instead of forcing this on, upon forcing the your opinion on others. Yeah. It's like you're on a podcast. One is that most of valve's story writers, uh, people that told the arcs and portal two and half-life two and various other vow games that only got to number two, um, is that they're hiring them for their story prowess, um, Mm -hmm. being able to tell a narrative in a video game. The other likely scenario, in my opinion, is that Campo Santo is a very small studio. Um, very small. And, uh, potentially they probably, probably got into some financial trouble and valve being a fan of their games, which I think they've said on record. They are a fan is, Hey, we'll bail you out. You're part of valve Our very flat structure. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Make games. Yeah. We make tons of money selling other people's games. Yeah. You're okay. So I don't know what to think. I don't think it really says anything. I think that second scenario is probably more likely their valve is fan of the game and they didn't want to jeopardize Valley of the gods, not coming out. And that's where we are. And they're just being good Samaritans? I think Valve... That seems strange. Valve, no. I mean, in, I think that Valve isn't really play by the rule book, right? I mean... Yeah, that's true. I think they totally could do that. And that's Though they've it. had other public conversations since they announced buying this that have gone back and forth on the store, such as they initially were going to start filtering out um, what they considered sexy or lewd games. And then they've reverted that in the last week where they basically have said, we're not going to filter any games. Anybody who wants to publish to our store can publish anything they want to the store. We'll let the community decide whether they want to buy it. Because they came out initially and said, we're not going to have these, you know, visual novels with sexual content on our store. And so a lot of them switched over to GOG. I mean, if there's money to be made, Valve is like, hey. Well, and I think it's funny. So a lot of these publishers for these, you know, visual novels is what they're generally... Novellas. Yes. uh, Switched over to publishing them on the GOG platform because Valve was going to implement some morality uh, standards. And then now all of a sudden it's almost like, well, we make a lot of money on these games that have TNA and that some people don't like, but apparently there's a big market for it. What? And all of a sudden Valve has reversed their position. What's that saying? Something sells. What is um, that? anime. Oh, you know, you know why the X chromosome got with the Y chromosome? No, why? Sex sells. Ah, boo! Get it? Thanks. You know that's actually fine because we'll come back to that. That was a dad joke if I've ever heard one. <laughs> and as the only dad in this room, I endorse it. It's kid tested, dad approved. <laughs> um, moving on, a little bit of media news. Let, let's let's talk what, about a trailer you, that came out. Yes, yes, I am excited for this. So we know that Sony was splitting the Spider-Man franchise at the movie theaters up a little bit, and then they put out that trailer with Tom Brady, not Tom Brady. Tom Brady he? was he? Well. Was this like the Super Bowl trailer with Spider-Man in it? What did I... (laughs) Where are you going? Tom Holland is what you meant, right? No. uh, What's his name? The guy played Bane. 
Tom Hardy? Tom Hardy. Venom. I don't know why it was Tom Brady. Tom wow. Hardy. You can understand. Three of the letters in the last name are the same. Well, and actually, there's like 15 Toms associated with Spider-Man at this point. And, uh, and then you add Toby. I, I realized it was wrong after I said it. So. Tom Brady. Anyhow, that trailer for Venom. I'm a, I agree with you with everything you said. This looks awesome. Oh, wait. Well, that's, that's not what we're talking it about. It isn't right? actually what we we're going to talk about, but I think it, it fits into this conversation. <laughs> Which is, we've got the mainstream Marvel Universe Spider-Man stuff going on. And then Sony's also going, look, we own the Spider-Man movies. We're going to do stuff that we don't have to give a bunch of money to Marvel for. So they split Venom off into its own universe. Not supposedly connected at all with Spider-Man. Which, I'm still confused how that works. The whole point of Venom is he's the antithesis. Antithesis of antithesis he, he's dark spider-man of dark yeah he's dark spider-man i mean he he his genesis is, is because he was uh yeah the symbiote linked, didn't have spider powers linked with peter for an extended period of peter of time um <laughs> well wow. i can't speak all of a sudden yeah and it's through the you know right peter finding okay this thing is transforming me it's it's i'm becoming more of this than myself and he splits himself you off. know when he smacks mary jane and goes all emo goth and, and <laughs> oh wait and then you know there's the scene in the bell tower where it falls onto eddie brock mm-hmm. let's just forget about all that and just eddie and Brock's just say eddie brock it. has the symbiote because he I, found it from this research from this meteor that like landed in the woods that's the whole point like venom knows who spider-man is he's spider-man's like nemesis the entire time he becomes an anti-hero he he he's sort of like he goes through these phases yeah. of being bad and good yeah. and and then you have all of the obvious and this is classic 1990s comic book storytelling yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Where he, they wanted to capitalize on Venom as his character or this concept. So they split him off saying, well, the symbiote reproduced asexually. And then there's Carnage, who's the truly evil, chaotic one that's never good. And, oh, you like Venom. So. Yeah. So now it gives Venom the opportunity to become an antihero. Right. Instead of a villain. And Carnage becomes the villain. And then there's the anti-Venoms and there's all of this convoluted stuff. But. Along with splitting Venom off, first off, there was supposed to be a Black Cat Silver Sable movie, too. With, again, no Spider-Man. Which, they've not been introduced, and, and neither of these characters are well-known enough to carry a movie on their own. No. Um, but the third thing that they announced that they were doing, which immediately got my attention, we got the trailer for this week, which was Into the Spider-Verse. We got a preview of it with uh, Thor? We or did get a preview. It, it was very Panther. short. And it showed yeah. this animation style that is kind of like um, Ardman or, you know, like the, the Nightmare Before Christmas style physical animation, but done digitally. Yeah. So it's like every five frames, they pull a frame out, frame out to make it look more jittery than... It's very stylized. Yeah, it's very stylized. And it was going to focus on Miles Morales, the ultimate Spider-Man. And we didn't know much about it, right? Other than it was Miles Morales in the Ultimate Universe. And that Peter Parker was going to show up in some form or well, fashion. We, we assumed Peter would be in it because no, they saw a fight the, with Spider-Man and the yeah. Goblin in the original teaser. And there's a little bit more in this trailer. Um, but it really focuses on the fact that Miles is becoming Spider-Man and has to find a mentor to learn how to do all of these things. Except they've already kind of 
and I, I don't know if I don't remember if it's just because I know so much about the background or whether they say something in the trailer, but it's insinuated that the Peter Parker that was the heroic Spider-Man in in the Ultimate Universe who dies before Miles Miles becomes Spider-Man. But there's another Spider-Man in this movie. There's another Peter Parker in this movie who's not the Peter Parker who was Spider-Man in that universe, right? But we're, Hobo we're, Spider-Man. Wait, Hobo Spider-Man. You didn't notice that? No, with the cutout eyes. Is that the no, one? No, that that's Miles. Okay. Hobo Spider-Man is the one who's sitting at the diner talking about how much he likes food. It's not actually the Peter Parker from Miles's universe. No, I. But I figured that was Spider. I figured the Peter that was coming over was from the six one six universe. No, he's not. Okay. Everything I've seen leads me to believe that there's this Spider-Man who found himself kind of thrown out of his own timeline or, or universe, parallel universe, and he's in the ultimate timeline now. And so Miles and this version of Peter, who's kind of homeless and downtrodden, he becomes Miles's mentor. And that's what you see the most of in this trailer is Miles learning to become Spider-Man. Well, I think they've said in interviews that we're going to get to see some more Spider-Man. Well, we know we're going to get to see Spider-Gwen. Spider yeah. yeah, so Gwen shows up and Gwen is a very popular character. So... Gwen Stacy, who was killed off in the original comic universe. Um, and in the Ultimate Universe actually has a very different storyline as well. With Gwen? with Because Gwen and Peter were together and MJ and Peter didn't end up together. And in the Ultimate Universe, actually, just because it was intermingled with all the other Ultimate comics, Peter actually ended up with Kitty Pride instead of Mary Jane. Huh. So I never throwing your X-Men in there. The Ultimate bit. stuff. Yeah. Who's also getting married to Colossus soon, by the way. Oh, of course. We haven't, we haven't talked about that. Yeah. So they're doing a big wedding so anyhow, story. Into the Spider-Verse. It's a thing. It looks fantastic. Yes. Um, and it's coming out for Christmas. And I think the great thing about this, in my opinion, is they don't have to tell an origin story. They assume you know some basics of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and they're just going to make a movie, which is what DC has been doing for years with their animated But DC can't films. seem to figure out how to do with their mainstream movies. Yeah. It's like, we assume you are aware of these characters, at least somewhat. Well, okay, so Batman, Spider-Man, Superman. We never need another origin movie for either of those three characters, ever. No. Everybody who's going to see that movie, understands who these characters are. Yeah. Except for Miles. I think some people don't know well, Miles. Well, so but... there will be an origin aspect to yeah. this for Miles, right? They And they show some really cute scene, I thought, with his dad. With his dad, yeah. Where, you know, he, and, and again, this is kind officer. of going against the stereotypical view that African-American men don't have any involvement in their children's lives. Well, Miles's father is a police officer. And he basically is super involved in Miles' life. And Miles, being a typical teenager, is like, Dad, leave me alone. You're a cop. I don't want everybody to know you're a cop because it's embarrassing. And so his dad gets on the loudspeaker and says, say I love you. And, you know, drops him off at school in front of everybody as they're walking into a school. It's, It's just, it's really good. A lot of heart. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to it. So we'll definitely be talking more about that. Yeah. Uh, And the other piece that I don't know if you saw this. There is a scene with the Prowler in that trailer. And for those who don't know, the scene in Homecoming with everybody's favorite actor, Childish Gambino, was meant to be Miles' uncle, who is the Prowler. Right. So 
it, it's interesting how they're weaving all of these things. And again, comic book fans like ourselves, people who've been reading Spider-Man for years, we pick up on all of this. The average moviegoer is just going to go, oh, there's that nice boy with that purple mask who has those claws. Well, I think there's also be something to be said about, I mean, there's tons of iterations of our favorite characters, right? Mm-hmm. With The Flash, you've got Barry Allen. Uh, um, well, and you got Wally. Wally and, West, all yeah, of them. Bart and um, all the versions. But I, I think with Spider-Man specifically, Spider-Man is such a huge comic. And I feel like with Miles, when they introduced him into the Ultimate Universe, fans really latched on to the way they did that transfer of right. the mantle um, of Spider-Man. Meanwhile, the 616 Spider-Man was kind of way too grown up and he was married and yeah. you know, ended up no running that, Stark that Industries. teenage story, the awkward teen. He was sort of like in this. So I think, yeah, I, it, it's just nice to see some more more of that in some of the animated stuff. And hopefully, you know, I think they're building the foundation of that in the MCU. Yes. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's really cool. So, so we've been driving and, through and, a lot of and Spider-Man coming out for PS4 in September. They're alluding to. So, um, and there's a huge comic event that's happening in the regular Marvel universe, yeah. um, which is all around the spider characters and all these multiverses. Yeah. So. It's, it's, it's been a pretty good year. So of being a Spider-Man fan, I think we've, We've really gotten no more emo or <laughs> bad <laughs> the days of Toby McGuire. Yeah, and there is even a there's even a reference in one of these Spider Verse into the Spider Verse comic books, uh, where you know, Peter Parker from two different worlds meet together and they talk about having met the Toby McGuire and the Andrew <laughs> Garfield versions of Spider Man. So they they exist in Marvel continuity, right? Which is kind of funny. And it was before Tom Holland took over the role, so yeah. they, they don't talk about that. But it's interesting to see how Spider-Man is kind of this cornerstone to the multiverse theory in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, yeah. Because they talk about the spider totems and, uh, right. and all of that, but which is a little too mystical for Spider-Man for me, but okay. I mean, we've always had Madam Web, and that was... Think we'll get Secret War ever? No. You don't think so? I hope not. You don't, you don't I, want that? I don't want that. Okay. I don't want that. Let's move on to what you do want, Sean. Tell me what you want. What, what I really, 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 really want. Yeah. yeah is a Microsoft wireless driving controller. <sighs> well, it, yeah. So Hyperkin, the company best known for bringing back the ginormous Xbox original controller. And known for the Retron 5, a retro console, which is fantastic. Well, it's okay. It's good. But the controller for the Retron 5 is a piece of garbage. (laughs) Hey, do you love retro games? Yeah. What do you love about retro games? I love that D-pad. Hey, guess what? There is no D-pad. It's a clicky joystick for retro games. No. Who? What were they thinking? Well, so this is another example of what were they thinking. So this leaked in advance of E3 2018, which is... Oh, Microsoft's wireless driving controller called the Project S. It looks like, and I kid you not, the Wii U <laughs> Mario Kart controller sexed up a little bit, right? So it's a little bit bigger. It's got more buttons. It has shifting paddles so in here's the center. The thing, here's the thing, in my opinion, about uh, steering wheel controllers, is you go the Wii, the Wii route, and you have the... <laughs> it's not attached to anything. Right? It's a floaty wheel. And then in your... you go hardcore, and I know people have done this, and you get a driving rig. If you want to play oh, yeah. these games, you get the force feedback, sequ- uh, force feedback steering yes. wheel. And I did and that with nothing... 
with it's awesome gran turismo i used yeah. to have that and i loved it the only problem i ever had was whenever i'd push down on the brake or the gas or yeah. the shifter for some reason that connected box always seemed to slide <laughs> um, because it's not attached to a car right right <laughs> but so. uh so yeah the the, the creators uh, or the resurrection of the duke has led to an agreement between Hyperkin and Microsoft to continue to make accessories that probably nobody wants. Or somebody wants it, I guess, maybe. I I I don't know. I mean, the Forza series is really awesome. I mean, both both Forza 7 and Horizon 3 and hopefully Horizon 4 will get announced soon. They're great games. Mm-hmm. They're fun. I don't want to play them on a floaty steering wheel unless they can somehow magically give it force feedback in it's the not air. gonna happen there's no way yeah all right um, so our very last tangent before we roll into our main topic no i think we got them all no we, we missed one no i think we're gonna put that in the main topic okay all right i think that's where it fits so um here we go sean are you ready i have been ready for a while our main topic is smash hype we're going to E3, baby. No. Put it away. What? Put it away. All right. It is not Smash Week. It is not yet time for that. Oh, man. You never let me have Smash hype. No, nor will I. <laughs> oh, we'll see about well, that. Well, maybe in a week. <laughs> <laughs> After we actually get some real information about Smash. No, we've actually got a multifaceted main topics two main topics it's one main topic it's about fatherhood yeah okay so let's go So, so as we were getting t- together to figure out what we wanted to talk about in this episode, one of the things that Jared and I both adamantly agreed on was that there were two really big media events that have happened in the last few weeks that kind of, in some ways, work together, even though no one's really associating them in reality. Um, one in the video game world was the, the, the amazing release of Sony's God of War. And the other was, and ironically, a few days later, which was the release of Avengers 3 Infinity War. And while you may be sitting there asking, why would we put these two topics together? I I, I think it's pretty obvious to me, um, which is these are both stories about fatherhood. Yeah. And you're thinking, well, Infinity War, how's that about fatherhood? It's about, you know, Thanos showing up and, you know, destroying half the life in the universe because he thinks that people shouldn't live or something. Right. But the reality is that there and, and there will be, oh, well, we have to use our special tag. Are you going to oh, do it? Oh, yeah. Just because of the timing of this, it, it should be obvious, but... We're going to spoil something. 
So, so we're not going to go into deep context about all of the spoilers in either of these games because right. both, well, the game and the movie both have some twists. Right. Um, but we thought it would be interesting to to just kind of examine. These are two very different portrayals of what it is to be a father. And with Thanos, it's it's about the ultimate sacrifice. Whereas with Kratos, hey, they both have Oses in their name. Hmm. Maybe they're related. Hmm. Because one's a mad titan, the other one's a god. Yeah, Spartan. Which titan is, uh... Oh my gosh, it all comes together right there. It does. There. The See? Titan. Yeah, there. See? We did it. We connected um, it, guys. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, Kratos is actually Thanos' great-great-grandfather. Yep. Uh, no, but the the point is that, you know, fatherhood, in my opinion, as a father, is often poorly portrayed in our media and our games. Um, especially when you think about the way society looks at fatherhood. It's either hyper-masculine and, you know, the, the stern, overbearing father figure, or it's absenteeism. Right. And here's two huge media pieces. And even if you go back to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, right. it's another example of where we're starting to see kind of a more nuanced, layered portrayal of fatherhood. And I'd also bring up, and in, in goes into Infinity War, because Thanos is the main character, but I think you get some of that with Tony and Peter as well. Right. You did so. get that in Homecoming. Right. Right. That's the kind of proxy fatherhood. Right. Um. And that's not to say that the relationship that a mother has with their children isn't important because it actually plays in very strongly, especially in the God of War series. Um, but, you know, Thanos as a character is, is, a, is, is a god, but he has had to sacrifice everything. He sacrificed his family, and that was the driving force for why he basically obliterated the Greek pantheon and his father who turned out to be Zeus. Spoiler, sorry if you haven't played the game in the last 15 years. <laughs> um, and then whereas Thanos is kind of like somebody who didn't have a family and didn't intend to have a family and ended up building one around himself. Right. Uh, and there's some questions about whether it was all imagination so that he could reach his objective. But I don't know about you. I felt like the, the sacrifice that Thanos makes in Avengers was actually far more painful for him than he expected it to be. Yeah. I think that's the whole point. And I think a lot of people with infinity war were like, first off his, his plan is flawed and everything. And, but the funny thing is uh, with population control and all this, this is stuff that's been debated for years Mm -hmm. and you could say, yeah, you could click a finger and create twice as many resources. Blah, 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 blah. I don't care. We're not going to go into that. But the whole point is the reason he's a good character is because he is willing to make the sacrifice. He will make the hard choice. The hard choice that nobody is willing to do. Whether and- his choice is flawed, and that's the that's the other point of it, is you have to understand the reason he is a villain, a villain is because his choice is flawed and his... But he's the hero of his own story. Yes. And that's one thing that I think a uh, infinity war does better than any other superhero film. We've yeah. seen. It really makes the villain in this case, Thanos, who's been built up for 10 years as this, Ooh, mustache twirling bad guy, because the first time we saw him was in the original Avengers. No, he's purple guy in a floating chair. Well, <laughs> you don't really see him. Yeah. You're right. Um, 
And we see he sends Loki to Earth to do whatever Loki's there to do with one of the Infinity Stones, which don't think too much about how that all worked right. out because it doesn't make a lot of sense. But Comic books. But yeah, comic books. And now we finally get that payoff and we spend most of Infinity War not paying attention to how did the fight between Tony Stark and you know Captain America end up and why are, are they friends now or not? I mean, none of that gets addressed other than to say that the Avengers are no longer in prison. They've been either broken out or been let go for whatever reason. Or they're under parole. Or under parole, yeah. And not and, present. And, you know, Steve and Tony don't talk to each other. They're not friendly. But the f- story is really about Thanos. Almost, I would say everybody else is a guest the, star. The film follows Thanos. Yes. And as he's objective. building everything and going where he wants and to go. And the other characters are not... Um, protagonists so to say because they're not the ones moving the plot forward they're the ones actually stopping the plot from happening now ironically the main character of the god of war games kratos is the playable character but i would argue he's also not the protagonist of the game in the new one no yes no the protagonist in the new game is his son and you're doing these things because of his son right, right? and so Again, it's 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 a slightly skewed perspective on what we expect out of a game. When I play a God of War game, I want to be Kratos and I want to go spin my blades around and beat people up and kill gods. Guess what? That happens in this game, but it's yeah. not the point of the game, right? And and in the context of Kratos, we've we've we come up to this. It's in continuity. It's a continuation of everything that's been before. It's not a reboot. It's the story of how Kratos has kind of come to realize that the only thing that's important to him is his son. And that he's making some of the same mistakes that his father made with him. And and I do mean Zeus in this context. Right. Um, because they show you at the beginning of the game that his son really doesn't know him. He's His father has not been there. He's, 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 he's overly, always been out hunting. Right. Well, his mo- mother raised Atreus, um, kind of, yeah, like just not present and there, then but not she present. passes. And of course we find out through the course of the game that there's a bunch of secrets that she was keeping. Right. But her last wish was that her son and her husband would take her ashes to the top of the tallest mountain in Midgard. And all the realms. Well, it's all the realms. Because that play, yeah. comes into play in the plot. Right. Um, and so it forces them to do this journey together and you can tell her intent was always, well, to make them grow. Yeah. That was the intent because very specifically, um, it, you find out later in the story that, um, she hid information from Kratos. Yes. Um, he knew that she was a giant, but I think that was the extent of it. Right. Um, you find out she's a giant, which in Norse mythology means a lot of things. They're not actual giants, although there are actual giant giants, but not all are giants in the are context. Giant. Same thing with the Titans in Greek mythology. Originally, they weren't gigantic creatures. The Titans were just the people that created the world before the gods mm-hmm. came before. Mythology is weird. Um, well, but cool. It's neat. It's neat. <laughs> But you find out she's a giant. So anyhow, in the beginning of the story, you find Kratos is chopping down a tree. The tree has a handprint on it. 
her final wish was to be burned on this pyre with the trees that she marked herself. And then, like you said, the ashes brought to the highest peak in all the realms. Well, you find out these trees that were marked were actually creating a protective barrier around the large area where they lived. Mm -hmm. So you brought up the point of she wanted them to grow, but she forced them to grow because this protective barrier brought all these creatures. Basically, everybody who was not aware of their existence and was not was now suddenly aware. So it wasn't they, you know, Kratos's initial intent was we're going to go on this and we're just going to get done and we'll go back and we'll be we'll be over. And then boy, we'll deal with his thing. You know, you can find through her motivations, even though she's not present, was no, you you guys are going to move on, move out into the world. She's taking away his excuses. Right. Right. Which is she'd always let him go do his thing because he was suffering with the knowledge that he had effectively slaughtered the Greek pantheon. Well, and and he, like he says, and when he, he, so the whole course of the game we'll summarize is there are these wonderful, there's so much dialogue in this game that you can understand why it took them five years to develop because they have to tell the story in a video game and they make it seem completely organic because Um, it's these two characters experiencing these events and talking while it happens. Right. Even during the fighting, there's conversations, there's a back and forth. They learn to coordinate. They get better at it. You know, there's actually a growth and an evolution that's not just an artificial skill tree. Right. And I, I have to give credit to Corey Barlog, who's the game director, who took over on God of War 3. and Or did he take over he was for on 2? Two. He was on He's two. been present in most of them, but he was the creative director of 2. That's and right. this one, yeah. Yeah, he, he led all the way from 2. Um, so this is a this is a a man who understands the backstory really really well, and when they went to relaunch God of War, he said, "You know what? I, we can't release God of War as it was 15 years ago today. It won't work, right? Because everybody cloned God of War, and you know, just a violent beat em up. He's like, I'm not interested in te- in making that game. I'm not interested in telling that story." And, and I think this is also a key component here, which is as a game designer, as a creative person, his world had changed right. over the 15 years. He's now a father, whereas he was a fairly young guy when he did you know, God of War 2 and 3. Now he has children. Now he sees the world differently. And he stated that, you know, that it colored the intent of the game and how it evolved. And shortly after the game's release, you know, we don't often get true emotion from our game developers, and and, and game developers aren't rock stars, right? They're not, they're not celebrities. There's a few of them out there that people know their names: the Todd Howards, the, the Hideo Kojima, those, yeah. those types of people. Corey Barlog is one of them that was well known, but you can tell if you've ever watched any of the making of documentaries, he's a very private, reserved, shy person. And right after God of War came out, it it released to huge numbers. Like, tons and tons and tons of people were excited for the game. And it really probably... And I haven't seen the numbers. Have you seen the numbers on how well it sold in that first quarter? It really well. I mean, I don't know specifics, but... So it beat expectations. And he released a video for the fans, which was just him looking at the responses a day after release. With all the review 
with the all review. the reviews and, and then the public, the Metacritic comments and, and people would actually. And he says this in another thing, but basically, you know, you, if when you create something that's truly something you love, you're, you're not creating it for the response. You're putting it out in the world. You're creating something. And at that point, it becomes everybody else's. I mean, it, right. we, we see this with lots of things, but he, you know, he, he even says in the video when he's watching this reactions, is, is it, these should not matter, but you basically see him break down into an mm-hmm. emotional, you know, he's, he's overwhelmed. overwhelmed. Yeah. yeah. Well, so here's where I'm going to tie that back to our theme. A child is a creative project, just like a video game, just like a movie. And so, and this is going to get a little bit deep. Sorry, guys. Uh, as a father, my experience has, I have four children, very, very different four children. They each have their strengths, weaknesses, interests, and you guys have heard at least one of my children on this podcast. <laughs> but when he talked about that, you know, you create something and you don't have ownership of it once you release it out into the world. That's actually one of the cornerstones of the story in God of War is there's Kratos and what he wants his son to be. And then there's Atreus and what he is going to become. And they're not the same. And so part of the story from Kratos's perspective is coming to grips with the fact that he can't mold his son into what he wants him to be. He can only guide him and be there to support. And part of that, of that story is also our past, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's everybody has a past everybody's done things they don't they regret right then you hear people that say no regrets right no no regrets when i was younger yeah regrets you know when i was younger (laughs) i went down that that line of thinking of like i don't have any regrets and that's everybody has regrets we all do things that we wish we wouldn't have done however the the major cornerstone of this is we can't escape that and we shouldn't escape that we should only learn and build upon it. And that's what makes all of us either boring or interesting. The people mm-hmm. that you find the most interesting are the ones that have the most troubled, maybe not, that's not the word I want to use, different pasts, diverse pasts, histories. Yes. You know, people that have gone through hardship, people have done things that are stupid. And you have two types of people, right? You have the people that learn from those experiences. You have the people that don't. Um, and I think the whole catalyst of the story here is Kratos. I mean, he's confronted by his past in a literal manifestation of Athena from the previous three games. Right. There's this amazing scene. This is my favorite part of the game and spoilers are abound, but, uh, Atreus becomes ill mostly because, and it's a weird convoluted way of explaining it, but he's inherited his father's rage. And Kratos he doesn't is, have a body that can control it. <laughs> right. Kratos was raised a Spartan, which... Which is in, all discipline and control. Which in legitimate history, yeah. real world history, they were trained to be warriors from childhood. They they didn't have the childhood that you think of growing up and playing in the field or whatever. Well, if they played, they were, <laughs> they were sparring. They right. were doing martial they were, training. It was a form of fighting or yeah. war. So, I mean, that... That was Kratos being brought up. He he was brought up as a warrior. He was brought up as a machine. Uh, and so he brings that with him. 
And then he becomes a god through mm-hmm. the, the original God of War trilogy. And then in this, he has a son who's also a god because that's how godhood is passed on via DNA, I guess, is how we want to explain that. No. And But by, that's explained even in the first series. Right. By proxy, his mom was also a giant. So, so magical creature. Magical creature. Yeah. So. so he has the rage of Kratos, but Kratos hides that past from him. And so there's this moment where Atreus gets really violent and he doesn't know how to control this rage and becomes ill because of it. I mean, it's it's a weird story moment, but he becomes deathly ill, mortally ill. Mm-hmm. And Kratos comes to the realization of, okay, you know, he through plot mechanics, it's, it's, it's basically stated, Kratos, you have to go to um, Helheim, which is cold and frozen, and you need to retrieve MacGuffin uh to <laughs> to cure him to save your son yeah. and this entire part of the game you've been with atreus you've been learning talking scolding going through that the that journey and all of a sudden he's gone and you do have a, a side character that's with you but there's this moment that you feel in this game where you just feel alone and so kratos knows he can't go to this place or he'll die without something at fire, right? Mm-hmm. So he goes back home. He said, I have to go home first. And there's a scene where, okay, I should also preface, I should have brought this up. You've also, just after this, you've encountered the sons of somebody else, Thor. Right. This is North mythology. You've met his sons, uh, Magni and Modi. And you get through God this of really, strength and the God of bravery. You go through the scene and they... <sighs> force Kratos and Atreus into defending them and, and they end up killing both of them. And that's when Kratos get or Atreus gets sick because he didn't know. Cause he's so angry and he doesn't know how to handle it. Or you end up killing Magni, not Mo- Modi escapes Modi's later. Um, so then he gets sick. Sorry. I wanted to bring that up. So you go to Freya's house and she says, you need to retrieve this something in Helheim, blah, 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 catch you up. So then he says he has to go home to retrieve something and you don't know what it is. And <laughs> um, as you go home, this the entire game is told in one shot. There's no cut scenes in the traditional mm-hmm. sense. There's no cuts fades. It's over the shoulder. Kratos gets in a boat and goes downstream to his house. And it takes the course of maybe 10 minutes to get there. And the entire time Kratos is thinking out loud and talking and you see the world around you just goes from bright to dark and thunderous because somebody (laughs) has just found out that his son has died, the God of thunder. Mm -hmm. So as you're going down this river, it becomes darker and just more malevolent and, and and it's intense and it's silent and introspective. And you, but it's a parallel to how Kratos himself is feeling. Right. And it's very interesting to kind of have this story told. And and one of the reasons that, and I think we were planning to talk about this before some events happened in my life. Yeah. Um, which, and I'm not, we don't usually share a lot of personal stuff on the podcast, but it, it ties into this conversation. Right. Which is my father died about two and a half, three weeks ago. 
And so at the same time I'm playing God of War, my father has just passed away. And so for me, this had a huge impact on the way I felt. And then I went and saw Infinity War, and my father had just passed away. And that kind of is why this all comes to a head for me, which is I've gone through a number of phases, I would say, in adapting to this idea. I mean, my father's passing wasn't a complete surprise. He'd been ill for a while. But what these experiences did, both Infinity War and God of War, is made me kind of critically look at my relationship with my dad. And we had a pretty good relationship, right? But he was he was not the man I thought he was, which is normal, right? Our, our parents are never exactly who we think they are. And my relationship with him was not what I wanted it to be. And so as a father myself, looking at that, this put me into the mind of, all right, so I'm playing God of War, Kratos is taking his son on this adventure that's being forced by this death. Right. And it all kind of snapped into place that you only get one opportunity to be in a loved one's life. And as a father, and this is not denigrating mothers or the role of motherhood or, or even mothers who serve as fathers, right? Because that's a, a thing in our society. Mm-hmm. As a father, I started to realize that I wasn't spending a lot of time with my youngest, my son. And some of the things that I do to connect with my kids, I hadn't been doing because I'd been overwhelmed with my own problems. And because of these kind of situations, it, it, it brought that all very, very to the forefront for me. Which is, we don't have a whole lot of time. We think we do. And in that time, maybe 80, 90 we'll years. We'll do it soon. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll. But yeah. as we, and then we come back to that analogy I said about creating something and releasing it into the world, eventually that thing becomes bigger than you and has its own agenda. And other people have influence over it. And so as we were rolling into Father's Day and we were looking at these two media events that consumed all the attention and well, aside from Deadpool, which even has a bit of a father element to it too. Mm-hmm. But um, as we were rolling through these events, it, it really helped me realize that we probably don't talk enough about the impact we have on the people around us, whether they're our children or our friends, you know, people in our lives. And we've often talked about the importance of gaming with other people or or talking comic books with people who like comic books and, and the camaraderie. And we talk about a lot of our critical perspectives on things. But the reality is, and in, in, in where I'm meandering to here, if your father is still in your life, or the person who was your father figure, whether they're biologically related or they're not the right gender, they had a very small window of time to help form who you became. Mm-hmm. Good or bad. And at the end of that, your choices are your choices. And you need to recognize and, and let go if you're holding a bunch of stress about it, right? There were things that happened between my father and I that um, I don't think back kindly on the way I reacted or the way he reacted. I don't think either of us acted like adults sometimes. Yeah. But in the end, you can't change it. And you can't just 
think about it that way. You you have to decide whether you're going to let that experience change you and you, and you're going to respond appropriately or whether you're going to be angry about it and resentful about it or unhappy about it. And these games and this movie both drive this point home, which is whoever that person is in your life that, you know, is, is so formative to who you are. And if you are that person in somebody else's life, you can't abdicate that responsibility. And even if you do, you're not. Right. Because you still have an impact. So as we go into Father's Day, and I, I, and I know we've gone kind of deep and depressing to some extent here, but as we go into Father's Day, whoever that person is in your life, go find them. Spend some time with them. Talk to them about these things. If you've had bad conversations, bad experiences, think about how you can learn from it instead of focusing on how it hurts you. Right. Because that's ultimately the story of God of War. Kratos is a man who lived a hard, horrible life and did bad things. And he doesn't want his child to feel the shame that he feels for having been that person. Which is why he separates himself from his wife and his child. And in the end, he's not there when his wife dies. And he comes back to a son he doesn't know. A son who has a lot of assumptions about who he is because he's never told them. In Infinity War, you've got a man who's seen horrible things happen. And I'm talking about Thanos here. And realizes that he's got to change the world because this is not a world he wants anyone to live in because it's hard and it's unnecessarily cruel. And so as he's building his way to fixing the world for whatever mad reason he's doing it, He finds himself in a position of fatherhood. And at the end of the day, the most damaging scene for me in that movie was the sacrifice that he makes. And the last scene of the film, and I'm not spoiling anything here, because if you don't know that Thanos lives through the whole film, this doesn't follow your traditional superhero movie plot. It's a part one of a part two. You see Thanos having achieved his goal. And he's sitting on a planet by himself, getting the peace that he knows that he's created. And I don't think it's as obvious, maybe I'm reading into this, but when he's sitting there in the closing scene of the film and he sits down and he's looking out over this beautiful valley, I get the sense that he wasn't happy with the result because it had actually cost him more than he thought it would. Also, he's confronted by... Gamora in the soul plane because this isn't really a spoiler but she's not truly dead in the sense of dead her soul was consumed by the soul stone which is the final stone that he needed to be able to activate his time stone but yeah well the soul stone really the one that was hard to get the time stone wasn't yeah okay semantics um but he's confronted by Gamora but as a child and she asks him was it worth it? And his answer is somewhat noncommittal. Right. And and so you're left with this idea that sometimes you get what you want and it's not really what you want. Right. Um, and the cost is too high. So, again, we'll move on to more positive things. And, and this has kind of been a meandering topic. If you haven't played a God of War, 
I there's not a person in this world I would say shouldn't play it. Yeah, and you don't need to have seen or played the other ones for this one. I mean, it starts off at a point. The story is so well done. Uh, the acting is, oh my gosh, the acting is fantastic. And to, to bring parallels in the God of War story is we 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 see the the Atreus Kratos side of things, mm-hmm. but we didn't talk about the Balder Freya side of things. Right, and that's the mother's perspective. Right, is because this is a story about mother and fatherhood in in some sense. But Balder, uh, in Norse mythology, he's just fantastic. He's great. He's Balder beautiful. the beautiful. He's Balder the beautiful. And this game kind of take a spin on that, and but at the same time, is his mother wanted to protect Balder from ever experiencing harm or pain, and she did so in Norse mythology with a pact of all the living creatures, except the, the one who didn't show up that day. Yeah. Plants, animals, and said, you know, do not harm Boulder. So the, the way they explain it in God of war is Boulder does not literally feel anything pain. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't taste. Feel, he doesn't taste, feel, he doesn't feel anything. And it's kind of warped him as a result um, oh, and they also make a very good point that Baldur's being manipulated. Oh, he absolutely is. I mean, we know the master manipulator of Odin. Yes, um, Mr. Wednesday. He, he, Odin is not seen in this game. He's alluded to. You hear stories of how hor- hor- horrible Odin is. And, you know, he's the true trickster god. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, even, in talk Nor- about, even in Norse mythology. Yeah, we talk about Loki being a trickster god, and he is. But Odin is the master manip- manipulator. Um and the thing that the God of War does is they, the series is done, and we've seen this with other media, but, um, sorry, Siri picked up when I said serious, um, is sort of the godhood is not good for humanity. Gods manipulate, use mm-hmm. humanity, um, feed off of it, so to speak. They're ultimately selfish. Right. And that's what God of War's spin on gods are in in the sense. Um, so Freya puts a spell on Baldur to protect him, and he can't feel. And Odin says, "Hey, I know this guy, or I know Odin knows everything. Not everybody. Baldur does not know who Kratos is, where he came from. He was actually looking for Fey, his wife, right? Um." And he ends up finding Atreus and Kratos. Right. And the reason he's looking for Fae is, if you know your Norse mythology, the gods, the Aesir and the Vanir, do not like giants. Right. They, for good reason. They're at war with them. Well, and they have obli- they pretty much obliterate the giants. Yes. So, Baldur's looking for Fae, and he ends up finding something he's not expecting. But Odin promised him, you will feel something you know, I promise you, you're going to feel. So he ends up fighting Kratos um, to a bloody pulp. It's the intro of the game, and it's so yeah. intense. And you, Kratos ends up snapping his neck, but obviously he doesn't feel. He's a god, and he's fine. He ends up showing up. Yeah, he doesn't die that. Point. So at the end of the game, you end up confront, confronting Boulder once more. And Freya has revealed that Boulder is, is her, her son, right? Which Kratos didn't know during the game. And 
Freya is telling Kratos, stay away from this guy. Stay away from my son. Do not get involved. And Boulder has this uh, revenge he wants against, against Freya for making him not feel anything. Yeah, he's very upset about it. He He's very spiteful. Um, and Freya is willing to make the sacrifice to sacrifice herself to make him feel better, even though we know that's not how it's going to go. She says, if that's what you want, son, you know, do it. And Kratos steps in and kills Boulder. And, and, and it's pretty clear that even if Boulder had killed Freya, he wasn't going to stop. Right. I and mean, everybody knows Kratos knew too. I mean, Kratos has this, his history is he, he was so spiteful and vengeful and he never got that solace through that pain. So he knew that he wasn't, you know, it's the whole culmination of this story. And we see at the end of the game, which we know this is not a standalone game. It's going to evolve into a larger arc. But, you know, Freya is now vengeful of Kratos for taking her son. Even though we knew who that, how that, Kratos knew how that was going to play out. We knew how that was going to play out. So, um, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing on fatherhood and just parenthood in general of, Mm -hmm. um, like you said. And I think it's one of those things where we we look at God of War as this beat him up, hack him up, slice him up, kill hey, everything. Yeah, get a quick time event to rip and, out a, you know, the eye of a right. centaur. Or, and we're getting this really, really good story that we don't see a lot of in media. You know, the, the game that I relate this closest to is another PS4 exclusive title by a very different developer, Horizon Zero Dawn. Right. Um, and if you're looking at this generational uh, releases of first party games, I'm sorry, Microsoft, but you're not even at the dance, but they've got Minecraft in 4k. And this has been the big problem with, with Microsoft, with the Xbox one generation is they just haven't had that game that was the cornerstone of their system. And Sony keeps, I mean, we've got this, we've got horizon last year potentially spider-man yeah coming up i mean all very story driven single player experiences well and i think a lot of people are like well i don't like story and i mean you can't you can you could bypass this game and play through it and still enjoy it i can see that happening but we are getting some really awesome in-depth story writing that's so nuanced and you you come away with an emotional that you just don't Mm -hmm. get um or haven't had in games for I mean, we've had it, but I'm just saying, like in, like you said, Sony is killing it with this. With Last of Us, Last of Us is the next one. Yeah, right? it's coming out even before Spider Man. Well, I mean, even I think. the first one. I mean, we got this sort of rich narrative, um, and I'll be the and, first and to tell you another story of of fatherhood. I mean, right? We're getting these stories, and well, and we've got Days Gone coming yeah. pretty soon too, which may or may not have this kind of a feel right. to it. But so I guess the question I'd po- the way we end on this subject yeah. before we move on is um, why do you think we're getting these stories? Do you think it's that our generation has grown up? I and- do. I honestly think it's because the creators have grown up. And I think that the audience that was playing those games in the eighties and nineties are now at the point in their lives where video games aren't the most important thing to them. Right. 
So when I spend time playing a video game, it needs to be something I can either consume in small doses or it needs to resonate with me to, to, for me to say, I'm going to invest that time. Um, and for me personally, playing endless rounds of Overwatch or playing a bunch of Call of Duty or Halo or whatever game just doesn't have that return for me. Right. And I think it's also just an evolution of saying, you know, these are the people that are pushing these things to the forefront and saying, this is what it can be and more. I mean, we're this getting, is art. This, yeah. this is this storytelling. Is, this is the stuff that's really pushing video games to that, that age now, old gameplay. I think Overwatch perfects the team multiplayer far better than well, the great thing else. about God of War is it's not just that story. It has the gameplay. It's got, it's got the, the yeah. kit and caboodle. It's got the complete package. And I would say the same thing of last of us. I would say the same thing right. of, you know, Horizon. and I think that's what, that's what pushes these things to the top. Right. I mean, if it had a good story, not all of us would be sitting here talking about it. If you know, well, I'll give you a good buggy. example of a game that just came out What's recently. That? Vampire. Yeah. Great story. Gameplay is not that amazing. Yeah. So it's not going to have the longevity in the mind of the gamers right. that a God of War has. So anyway, wrapping it all up, if you haven't played God of War, if you're a PS4 owner, absolutely, you have to play this game. If you're a Marvel superheroes fan and you haven't seen Infinity War, which I can't even imagine at this point, I will say that it is very, very dense in content. It takes a, It doesn't slow down for a second. Yeah. Um, so do you think uh, the, the ultimate question with infinity war is, do you think they capitalized on the universe they've been building for 10 years? Do you think this, I mean, we know it's, I, I can't give you that answer because it's an incomplete picture. Okay. But do you think, uh, with that, without knowing how it's going to end yet, the true ending or the, right. Do you think this was worth building up for? Do you think this is, I think we, there's a lot of get, payoff in this. We film. did get payoff. Okay. I think so. And, and the fact that they were able to take a character that they'd spent very little effort or time on other than the big bad in the background mm-hmm. and make him a fully fleshed out character that I cared more about in some ways than I cared about, you know, generic superhero number 14. Yeah. With the ice powers. <laughs> that is probably the, the greatest selling point for Avengers. So. Yeah. I think, and, and a lot of people didn't, uh, just with the plot, didn't understand what was going to happen at the end of the film. And I knew, yeah, I didn't know exactly how, but I knew what was going to happen. I knew that they're going to, because this is, I think I'm really looking forward to the next one in the aspect of it's, I, I have no idea how they're going to get out of this. Right. I mean, that's the ultimate writer's challenge is to put yourself into this com- situation and then write yourself out. Now it, it could be bad. It could be good. It could be time travel. It could be reality. I don't care. I don't, I'm not going to speculate. Yes. Because I want to see how it pays off. No. And, and like you, I've read all of the infinity war, infinity gauntlet stories. Right. I don't know where they're going. Exactly. I have some suspicion. And I personally think, I don't know about you. I love that feeling. Yeah. It's the first time in the MCU that I've really not known what story right. they were borrowing from and where they were going to go for it. Right. Because the way they resolved in you know infinity war is actually the way the original miniseries resolves and in they there's a lot of fat and stuff they couldn't do in the movie that they cut out but at the end of the the original miniseries thanos wins and then he loses but he still at the end 
sits down in this house having given up his dream of taking over because he did what he accomplished, what mm-hmm. he wanted to do. And it's that exact scene is actually the end of the Infinity War series, even after the heroes come back and defeat him. Right. So I don't know where they're going. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. So we would love to hear what you guys think about either of these things. Um, or fatherhood. Or parenting. Or, and Sean, thank you for sharing. No, you know. No. Yeah. I know this is not e- not always easy. I suspect I was rambling more than I normally would have because of the topic, but yeah. But I think it's I think it's you know we appreciate you sharing that with us. So, um, let's get into some back feeds from our fans now. Um, I know we had some uh positive feedback for the last episode. Thank you, but listener Kyle, um, <sighs> he sent us a link to a twit longer. Uh, twit longer is basically when you're like. I want to write a blog post, but I'm too young to know what blogs are, and I don't want to write a blog. It's actually an email. It's really what it is. It's just <laughs> a long email that he tweeted us a link to go read an email. So he had and, a lot of And opinions. we put the verbose language in the show notes, but I think we'll just hit them really quick at a high point. Yeah, we're, we're not going to go through everything. And I, I will. I don't even know if we'll post Kyle's complete response on here, because you can go find it on TwitLonger. Yeah, well, maybe we just post the twit longer link um but, but he had a lot of things to say but he had some feedback on three topics specifically yeah. that we've talked about in previous episodes yeah. uh the first one being sea of thieves right so obviously i was very critical of sea of thieves when mm-hmm. we talked about it mm-hmm. um and kyle at the time i don't think he's still playing it because it's sea of thieves and no. i'm validated now but at the time he had some very pointed feedback on some of the issues that i called out so when I read this, I got the flips. I when we were there on the No Man's Sky debate, right? Mm-hmm. I, I felt like I was on the other side <laughs> of that coin because you know he's justifying this forty dollar tech demo, <laughs> which we both deeply invested in. Um, which Sean and I were the same way about No Man's Sky. We we love the game. We found things to do. It was what we were expecting. And I think that's the same for Kyle. He found value in this game. He found reasons to play it, things to enjoy, and he found that expectation that he was looking for, which is great. And he made friends. Yeah. Which is always good. It's always good. So, Next uh, on his list was Toys R Us. He didn't have... He doesn't have what the it, emotional connection to Toys R Us that we did. He didn't, but he tells he tells a good story here, and I will read this because I I remember reading this, um, and I, I I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to do my best to read this aloud, and and maybe you can help with the narration. Do you have it up? I do. Okay. So he he gives this really in depth story of what images. Toys R Us and Chuck E. Cheese bring to his mind. So he says, imagine a 31 year old male and a 27 year old white female with a four year old and a nine year old. The guy is XXL, but wears a four XL shirt and jorts. (laughs) He has a soul patch attached to his chin strap. And he wears a hat that says obey across it. The bill of the hat is flat, of course. He drives a 2004 Dodge Neon with the hubcaps missing, and he vapes because he's trying to quit smoking the reds. The woman is very pale and isn't fit, but just overweight to be noticeable enough. 
She has naturally blonde hair, but you can tell she dyed it red at some point. Oh, I want to interject here. (laughs) I've never read a Chuck E. Cheese fan fiction until now. (laughs) The color's washed out, and it looks really greasy. You You can't tell if she's washed it, or if the hair product she purchased was from a Dollar Tree. She smokes those tiny skin skinny cigarettes which she can afford but goes for the menthol when she's struggling for money she wears a tight off-white t-shirt with short sleeves and a picture of tweety bird on the front now this is where this is where i could picture what kyle was laying down here the tweety bird stuff that was very very specific and i feel like kyle has a story around this but i i will continue The shirt is stained, and the graphic has faded, but you can tell she's worn it for a few days. Her makeup is too colorful, and it looks like she just leaves it on every night. Both of their kids are boys with short, (laughs) gel-filled hair. (laughs) What are they, a a four-year-old and a nine-year-old? Yes. They are hyperactive and have no sense of discipline. (laughs) Kyle then goes on to say, this is what he thinks of when he thinks of Toys R Us and Chuck E. Cheese. And uh, Kyle, thank you. I love it. I wish, you know, that, that was wow. very vivid. Very, I picture, I, I, I'm I, there where you where you are. Yes, picture, if you will, a family. At Westland Mall in the 1990s, <laughs> which he wouldn't know, but I know what you're laying down here. <laughs> with the smoke-filled malls when they were smoke, you know, you can. Oh, oh boy. man. Different time, different place. I so it. he's saying these are low-class retail establishments with bad food and even more questionable customers. And that only the 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 lowest dregs of his social perspective. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I can tell you this. I had many fond memories in both of those places. Um, and you I, didn't... I remember going to... Get this. Uh, I remember going to a Chuck E. Cheese um, party... From Bible school. Yes, I went to Bible school. And the goal was to memorize every book of the Bible in order to recite it at the end of the Bible semester. I don't know what it was. And then <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, we got to do a Chuck E. Cheese uh, pizza party. And Just the names or the actual content? I think I, it was mostly the names. I feel like we had to remember some of the content. They would be asked like, "What was the wow?" Major I thing? I know Catholic priests who can't do that. It was I did it. I did it, and I got to go to that pizza party. Well, I mean, the content piece. They know the books of the Bible, but anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> lastly, why don't you talk about the last topic? So, and and Kyle did have an opinion here on uh, loot boxes, which was was kind of interesting because it's not often that Kyle, as one of our listeners, wholly agrees with Jared and I. <laughs> And, and and the the nice thing is that you know Jared and I both know Kyle personally as well as as a listener of the podcast. Uh, but he agreed largely with our perspective that as long as it's cosmetic and it's completely optional and has no impact on how the game plays or you know what you're it, what you're able to earn in the game, he's okay with it. And so that was nice to see some validation for us. Um. We absolutely agree that you agree with us, so that's a good. 
and ultimately, loot boxes are a problem. I think that are going to solve themselves. I, I I don't think we'll think be talking fad. about them. And it'll, it'll happen. I mean, they'll either normalize to the point that we don't care about it anymore, or there's going to be something else, or they'll find a different way to monetize. Yep. Okay. So if you've got feedback on this back feed, if you want to provide back feeds to us, please don't hesitate to reach out on Twitter or Facebook. via the Facebook page. Yep. We will obviously include a 17 minute section reading out your description yeah, of I, people actually, who need to do laundry. If we do more fanfic like that, we might read it for you. Well, and I've never thought I'd ever hear or read Chuck E. Cheese fan fiction. <laughs> So thank you, Kyle. We're actually looking into, well, I'm looking into, at some point, we'll get a voicemail set up. The only thing, I've done that pa- in the yeah, past. Yeah, doing it for like Google Voice. Is uh, I don't want a three-minute voicemail. So, <laughs> And yeah. I don't like editing voicemails because it's time-consuming to go yes. through. So that's the only reason we haven't done it. Uh, we have a new section. We do. This is something I, I've been thinking about for a while. So we, obviously, we've talked a lot about nostalgia and kind of things that uh, maybe didn't get a fair shake when they were released, either games, books, movies, you know, stories, those types of things. And so this new section we're going to title Missed Opportunities. Now, the goal with this section is merely to mention something. And ideally, this is something that you as our listeners are interested in possibly going and, and reviewing and then coming back with some back feeds to, to tell us why either we completely missed the mark or if we actually helped you find a connection to something that was really cool. And to be the sacrificial lamb as the first person to go forward with this one, I'm going to offer I what I'm sure will not be a unanimous agreement with our listeners if you check this out. But the, the item I want to recommend people go check out this week that they maybe didn't see when it came out is Vin Diesel's The Last Witch Hunter. I'm just going to leave it at that. We'll talk about it more <laughs> when you guys provide some feedback. Uh, and also, uh, Jared's going to do one and I'm going to do one each week yep. as long as we continue to do this. So on my list this week is a game that I think people would love to play that they didn't know it existed. And that's Bravely Default. It was an RPG brought by you, the wonderful people at Squeenix, uh, for the 3DS if you like old school JRPGs in the style mm-hmm. of the old Final Fantasy, this is a game for you. Try it out. All right. And that takes us right into our one dumb things. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Uh, we couldn't hold or resist. Uh, we, we have two. We have two this week. So the first one is mine, which is, for those in the know, Xbox One launch title, Crackdown 3, has been moved to January 2019. When did the Xbox One come out? Uh, about four years ago. Yeah, I mean we're we're pushing to the end of these console generations, and, and it was announced as the one of the first titles to take care or take advantage of the split cloud yeah. platform. Still not out. And let's talk about the genre. Is is Crackdown Three relevant today? The whole open world smash up a city. I feel like that's done we did we did that it was fun now let's move on to other games i mean i know there's some i played crackdown one well just cause still gets sold and it's kind of like that i but i mean those aren't huge yeah and they're pushing like oh man crackdown three no i don't think they're pushing at all i think that's the problem microsoft's not pushing anything yeah e3 is going to be interesting for them yeah all right and then the next one next one is (laughs) 
Ubisoft CEO, I forget his name. Is that Yves uh, Eve, uh, Goulamont? Yeah. Is claiming that con- the, the age of consoles are ending. Now, I don't know if you're old like me. <laughs> We've heard. Actually, and as I'm a console, older than you. As a console gamer, this is something you hear every freaking five years. It's almost like it's on a cycle. So we jokingly put it in the show notes that he found a five-year-old press release and read it <laughs> accidentally. It's uh, time for the Jedi console or Jedi. We t- said this. Ninten- the, other thing, the other thing you hear every time is Nintendo's, Nintendo's over. They're done. They're yeah. going to make games on other consoles. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then the, sorry guys, the, the Wii Switch, happens. The Switch is on fire. So Yeah, the Switch happens. The Wii happens. The N60. Oh, wait. No, the N64 was the was good a one. Huge the GameCube console. one. It's every other generation. Yeah, you skip the GameCube. Uh, Super Nintendo. Yeah. The DS. Yeah, they said the Super Nintendo was going to die because at the time, uh, Sega was coming out with the Sega Saturn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atari, what was the tw- Atari? Jaguar. Jaguar, right? And it was like, we're pushing, we got 64 bits. We, we crammed all the bits in. And then Nintendo, at the end of the Super Nintendo's life cycle, said, we got a little ditty, pun intended, called Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. And they pushed that hardware and I, it's it's just hilarious. It's, it just is. Never discount Nintendo and with consoles people there is They're not going anywhere. They're not they're going to evolve. They're going to change. And they are changing. And and the software as a service platform, hardware as a service platform. That's where we're going to see them go. Right. But we knew that when they launched this generation of consoles. Yeah. So and Sony has already come out and said PS5 is a year off. Yeah, we're not talking about that yet. Yeah, we're not done with the PS4. So, anyhow, uh, I added one more thing in here. Oh, you a did a new section called "One Gratifying Thing." So this is us not ranting about something. No, uh, I want everybody to know that you and your daughter Alex are going to be writing in the Pan Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pan Ohio. Maybe you, you explain it better than I. Can. Sure, I can talk about the Pan Ohio Hope Ride. So it's a uh, bicycling event. It's a tour. It's not a race uh, that occurs at the end of July here in Ohio. And basically we start at the Hope Lodge, which is a, um, it's a facility that the American Cancer Society um, offers to people undergoing uh, cancer treatment. And it allows, it's kind of like compatible for those who may know of the Ronald McDonald house. It's kind of a similar kind of concept. Um, where they can stay there while they're undergoing short-term treatments. And, you know, it's a, it's a place where there's, you know, food and, and, and they do social events to try and help people get through the horrendous struggle of treating aggressive cancers. Um, this is something that's always been big to me as a cancer survivor myself. But this year, especially because both my father and my father-in-law passed away from cancer. And my cousin passed away recently too due to cancer. So, so the way what we do is we we raise money for the Hope Lodges to help fund them, and so we can make sure that people have some place to stay. And as a result of that, those of us who participate get on our bicycles and ride 328 miles from Cincinnati to Cleveland in a four, over four days in the middle of the summer. And it's, it's just, it's one of those things that I think we've mentioned it once or twice before on the show, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's a charity event that if I can put my butt on a bike for four days and and struggle climbing from, you know, the river 
all the way to the lake. It's any amount of money you, you can donate. We put a link in the show notes to the donation yeah. for Alex. It's her first year riding. It's my sixth. And um, we'd really appreciate any support you are willing to give to the American Cancer Society. Yeah, guys, let's, uh, you know, this is one of those things where if, if you can spare anything, anything. Yeah, and there's no minimum. Um, $5, whatever. I mean, if you have it, if you can donate, I mean, this, I think would mean a lot to, to all of us here at the Science Cosines Tangent podcast. So Agreed. Um, you know. Thank you. So that's it for this episode, Sean. I think uh, we've got E3 coming up. We've got, we've got a lot of news generating events happening. Yeah, we soon. won't have, pro- we're probably going to have a very tangents heavy episode next week. And I don't think we'll do, a, we'll, we're going to, we're going to sit down and kind of do, we're not going to recap. We're not going to recap the shit we don't like. Uh, yeah, like we did last like year. Like we did last year. We're going to sit down and talk about what we're excited for. I think we'll, we'll leave it at that. And, um, and you know, we really was, do want, all of you as our listeners yeah. to contribute and, yeah. and, and feel like you're part of the show. If there's stuff that you're excited or you want us to talk about that you've seen that are coming out of E3 next week, tweet us, Facebook. And us. the one thing we haven't really done is a lot of um, self-promotion around rating. So for those of you who are using the Apple iTunes store, we would really appreciate if you'd leave comments and rate our podcasts Yeah, uh, to help us expose ourselves. Oh, yeah. wait. Uh, whoa, I shouldn't whoa, have said whoa, that. Whoa, whoa, to whoa. help others find us when these wonderful algorithms suggest alternatives and we can build our community and bring some more people in to listen. Yeah. So that's it for this episode. Uh, appreciate everybody. And we'll talk to you soon.